Welcome to the David Pakman Show. I am Farron Cousins, host of Ring of Fire and Farron Balanced, and I am sitting in for David today. And boy, have we got a good one for you today, folks. We've got, of course, Mark Meadows and other Trump allies trying to already weasel out of the indictments in the state of Georgia. We've got Marjorie Taylor Greene hinting that she might be wanting a better office in the future, and I'm not talking about a new place in Congress. We have Tommy Tuberville, who may not actually be legally allowed to serve in the United States Senate. And of course, George Santos's ally, former staffer, indicted for impersonating a Kevin McCarthy staffer. All of that and much, much more is coming up on today's show. But let's start once again with the state of Georgia. According to a report from Rolling Stone, Trump's co-conspirators are already racking their brains trying to figure out the best way to get out of this whole mess that they've all found themselves in. According to this report from Rolling Stone, Trump's lawyers are even considering just asking the U.S. Supreme Court to go ahead, intervene, and let's just make all this go away. But nobody, nobody is trying harder right now than Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows has made the first move and his lawyers actually submitted a filing requesting that his particular indictment get moved out of state court and over into the federal courthouse, which is actually right across the street from the state courthouse. And there's lots of different reasons why Mark Meadows would want this to happen, but his lawyers are actually using a law put in place following the civil war that basically says any action by a federal official, you know, even if it's an action at the state level, they're doing a federal action should be moved from state court to federal court. Now, of course, I I'm way oversimplifying that law, but for the purposes of understanding the law basically says, if you're a federal official, you're doing something in a state, we can move it to federal court. So his lawyers, of course, are making that argument saying, listen, judge, Hey, we like you, right? But there's a statute. We don't want to go against the statutes. <laughs> you know, we're not lawbreakers says you got to move us over to federal court. So, you know, lickety split, let's get on it. Right. Eh, not so cut and dry folks, because that statute isn't just about federal officials. As I said, it's also about federal duties. You have to be carrying out your federal obligations in that state. And there is a very important caveat to this because the federal obligations that Mark Meadows was allegedly carrying out had to do with the 2020 election, but it only had to do based on these indictments with the state of Georgia and under the United States constitution, each and every individual state in this nation gets to determine without federal influence, the nature of how they conduct their elections, how they count the votes, where they hold the elections. The only thing they don't control is when election day is for a federal election. Other than that, they're in charge of all of it, including the state's electors. And because the state is in charge of these actions, if Mark Meadows based on the indictment was trying to interfere in any way with the state run activities that would not in fact 
be covered by this statute that says you should move the case to federal court. So it seems simple enough, right? I mean, I think the prosecutors obviously have a very good argument for keeping it in the state courthouse, but another thing, and I'm sure this weighs heavily on uh, Mark Meadows mind is the fact that state courts in Georgia allow cameras. They allow TV cameras. This trial, if it's in state court could uh, legally be televised and likely would be federal courthouses. On the other hand, prohibit that. So if this case is moved to a federal courthouse, no cameras, no oversight, nobody in the public gets to hear all the dirty little deeds that are going on. They either have to wait for reporters to tell them, or they're going to have to go through the court transcripts, which we all know they're not going to do. So on top of that, it would also be a much friendlier federal jurisdiction. Even though the charges would remain state charges, Meadows would be in front of a federal judge, most likely one appointed by Republicans. So he might get a friendlier venue if that is the case. So those are the benefits Meadows has of trying to move this again, based on that statute, doesn't seem like he would be able to, but if he is successful in getting it moved, he then is likely going to move to dismiss it because if he's able to make the argument successfully in court that he was only carrying out his federal obligations, if the judge grants that, then that means his federal obligations would then be protected under us law, at which point the charges would likely be dismissed. Now for Meadows, he's about the only one of these indicted co-conspirators that would be successful in making that argument. Donald Trump would likely be viewed more as a private citizen, not as president of the United States, because he was technically candidate Trump doing this, not necessarily president Trump. That argument could be made uh, according to legal experts. So Trump wouldn't be able to do this. Most likely Giuliani definitely couldn't. He wasn't even a government official. None of the other folks were, uh, well, I, actually a couple of them may have been, but other than that, Meadows is probably the only one that can go this route. He's already trying it. He's <laughs> making his escape and the rest of Trump world is scratching their heads, wondering how in the heck they are going to get out of this. But in the meantime, we got some other problems in the state of Georgia, according to reports that have now come out because of Donald Trump's post that he put out immediately following these Monday indictments. It's the post I talked about uh, yesterday where he said, quote, they never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers. That word, which I will not repeat from this point forward has now been turned into exactly what you would expect it to be turned into. And Fonnie Willis, obviously the African-American Fulton County district attorney who indicted Donald Trump has now been subjected to racist threats on multiple different pro Donald Trump message boards and websites where they have now replaced the N word with that word that Donald Trump used. And it's, you know, pretty, pretty obvious to make that leap between his R word and the N word. And that is exactly what his supporters have done. Now they're using it as a racial slur. And they believe based on Donald Trump's post that that's what he wanted them to do. 
That's why he said it. That's why he put it in all caps so that here you have a new word you can use. That's technically not that word, but it's close enough to where everybody knows exactly what you're saying. Again, we can't say that that was necessarily Trump's intention, but that is what his supporters believed it to be. So they have now taken it and run with it. And that is the new word they're using to describe not just Fonnie Willis, but Alvin Bragg up in New York, Letitia James in New York, and of course, Judge Tanya Chutkin. Here's the thing. This is not the first time, even in the last week, that we have gotten reports of these racist threats coming against Fonnie Willis. She has already had to talk to the sheriff's office, talk to the employees at the courthouse, warning them and sharing with them the threats that she has received. And she's not doing that to tell them like, oh, please save me. She is telling them, these are the people we're dealing with. These are the things they're saying. These are the threats they're making. These are the racist comments they're making. Protect yourselves because we are dealing with people who we cannot predict what they will do. It's bad enough that it's online. It's bad enough that these things are even happening. She's getting voicemails, emails, but we have to hope that it just stays at a couple of angry people yelling online or yelling in the phone. If it goes beyond that, that's when the bad things happen, right? That's when the real danger becomes apparent. So it's horrifying that it's even happening on the phone or in the emails or on the message boards, but let's hope it stays there and let's hope it will eventually die off, right? We do not want this to continue. This is absolutely disgusting. And speaking of disgusting, another thing happened on Wednesday of this week, a Donald Trump supporting website as reported by NBC news. And they did not name the website for obvious reasons. They don't want people going there and seeing this, but this pro Trump website has doxed revealing the names and addresses of the members of that Georgia grand jury. These individuals who did their civic duty, we were picked for a grand jury. We sat through it for months and months. They have now been doxed. The Fulton County Sheriff's department would not comment on this. The FBI would not comment on the story. Uh, uh, the Fulton County district attorney's office is not commenting on the story, but they're all aware of what has happened at this point. And as I've said, we cannot predict, we can't even begin to predict what these Trump supporters will or could want to do to any of these people, whether it's the prosecutors, the judges, or the grand jurors, we don't know what could happen. We have seen instances where Trump supporters have shown up, you know, outside the judges houses, they have shown up at the courthouses. You know, yes, there was one woman uh, up in New York that became violent with a knife attack, but this is serious. And this is the risk that these prosecutors and judges and everybody else, that's the risk they have taken on in order to prosecute this alleged criminal activity. And I cannot, you know, underscore that enough because that is such 
a horrific thing for these people to go through. This is their job, right? They're supposed to go out there and prosecute crime. I mean, isn't that what Republicans tell us all the time we got to do? Liberals are too soft on crime. And then they finally come out and start prosecuting crime. You're like, but no, not like that. So they become angry and they issue these death threats. They dox these individuals. And there's only one reason to do that. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, they're hoping, I imagine, that one of those supporters is just unhinged enough to show up somewhere and do something. Now these grand jurors, their job is over. Okay. All they said was yes, indict. They didn't say convict. They just said, based on the evidence we've seen, it's pretty clear to us crimes were committed. They do not control Donald Trump's fate. The only people who control Donald Trump's fate are Trump and his legal team. Those are the folks and they should not be threatened. They should not live in fear that a crazed Trump supporter or even a crazed liberal is going to show up and do something to them. These people are normal, average, everyday people. And we can disagree with them politically. We can disagree with the lawyers for even taking Trump on as a client. And I actually bring that up because we've actually had credible reports that judge Cannon, the Trump appointed judge down in South Florida has actually been getting threats from uh, people on the left. This is just absolute bonkers behavior. Most of it from the right, you know, we're talking like 99% over there, but it's, it's never okay. It doesn't matter which side it is coming from this kind of behavior is never okay. I'm Farron Cousins. You can find me youtube.com slash the ring of fire, youtube.com slash fair and balanced. I'm in for David today and we'll be right back with more. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. Think of your most personal emails. If you're using a free email provider, you should know that they're scanning every email you send and receive even after you delete it. They're usually using the data to build a picture of your life to show you ads, which many find creepy. Our sponsor start mail never scans or tracks your emails. Privacy is what comes first. And unlike other email services, when you delete an email in start mail, it is gone forever. 
It also protects your data by blocking tracking pixels and emails, which companies and hackers can use to track you. You can create unlimited email aliases to protect your identity and cut down on spam. You can encrypt every email you send, even if the recipient isn't using encryption. Startmail gives you 20 gigs of storage. That's more than you get on Gmail. And it only takes a few clicks to migrate all of your emails and contacts over to Startmail. Go to startmail.com slash Pacman to get 50% off your first year. That's only about two bucks a month. That's startmail.com slash Pacman for 50% off. The link is in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pacman show. I am Farron Cousins from Ring of Fire sitting in for David today. And if you want more from me, you can follow me across all the social media, Facebook, the outlet formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads. I'm at Farron Balanced on all of those. Follow me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Farron Balanced and youtube.com slash The Ring of Fire. Now, I do have just a little bit more to talk about with Donald Trump's indictments and all of that. It's just, it's the biggest news of the week, so we gotta talk a lot about it. But this one is a little funnier than the previous stories have been. Because according to new reports this week, all of those poor little lawyers that got indicted for working for Donald Trump, turns out he never even paid them for the work that they did for him. New reports say that even though Donald Trump raised $250 million off of the election lies that not just he was peddling, but also Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman and Sidney Powell, $250 million. And the guy didn't pay a single bill for any of his lawyers. In spite of the fact that according to former Trump lawyer, Tim Parlatore, who is now of course representing Bernard Carrick, Parlatore says that Donald Trump had a handshake agreement with Rudy Giuliani, who Carrick was working for, to pay Rudy Giuliani $20,000 a day. That's how much Rudy Giuliani of all people valued his own legal work, said, I will do this for you for $20,000 a day. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Trump should have paid him and he didn't. (laughs) So I guess that worked out in the end, but oh my God, $20,000 a day. Listen, I have worked in a law firm for almost 20 years. I just hit my 19 year anniversary. I have for 17 years been the editor of the trial lawyer magazine. I have personally interviewed for the national trial lawyer hall of fame, nearly every living member of that trial lawyer hall of fame. And I'm going to tell you that none of those people, again, the best lawyers in the country, none of them would ever approach and be like, give me $20,000 a day. But that is what Rudy Giuliani asked for. And Trump shook his hand and said, deal. According to Tim Parlatore. Now, again, if Trump had paid, uh, that would have been the worst deal in the history of deals ever, but he didn't So you know, maybe there's a part 
did you kind of feel sorry for Rudy Giuliani a little bit? I mean, think of it this way, because it's not just Giuliani. As I mentioned, you got John Eastman, uh, Sidney Powell, and actually Kenneth Chesbro. Donald Trump never paid him, but Chesbro maintains that I was doing it pro bono anyway. Well, you got indicted for it. In fact, you all did. One of the worst things that can happen to you as a lawyer is getting indicted for working on your client's case. What's even worse than that is getting indicted for working on your client's case and then not getting paid for the work that you did. But let's be honest here. Is there really anything that Donald Trump should have been paying these people for? I don't, I don't want to take Trump's side on this, but I'm kind of taking Trump's side on this. Like why should he have paid any of these people? I mean, Sidney Powell's out there you know, in the aftermath of the 2020 election, she's talking about ghosts in Venezuela and Hugo Chavez's spirit and Rudy Giuliani. Meanwhile, is standing in front of four seasons, total landscaping with his hair melting down his face. Do you think those people deserve money for that? I mean, really, when you look at the work that they did, all of the lawsuits that they filed laughed out of court not just laughed out of court either to the point where Rudy Giuliani is at risk of losing his law license. John Eastman is in court right now fighting to keep his law license. Sidney Powell has been sanctioned by a judge in Michigan, actually making her basically take what amounts to a remedial law course. So did they deserve to get paid? I mean, when they did such bad work that they're at risk of losing their legal licenses, I think that's a wash. I think if Donald Trump would have given any of them even a single dollar, he would have overpaid for the legal services that they ended up providing for him. And I still, I cannot get over the $20,000 a day. Like that to me is the most bonkers price tag I think I have ever seen. And of course we had reports come out this week that also suggested that Rudy Giuliani might, according to CNN, be in financial dire straits. You know, he listed his property in New York for six and a half million dollars. Uh, so far, no offers yet, but he's got hundreds of thousands of dollars in outstanding debts related to the lawsuits he's already facing, not even counting the new indictments. So Giuliani seems like he's, you know, if he's not in financial dire straits, he's probably going to be in financial dire straits. I mean, most of the lawsuits that he's already facing outside the indictments again are defamation lawsuits. So he's going to have to pay out some money. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. He's got that defamation lawsuit. He's got the defamation lawsuit uh, with the voting companies. So things are not looking very rosy for Mr. Giuliani right now. And as for John Eastman, as I said, he's in court this week fighting to keep his law license in the state of California. The only one who actually had a little bit of a backup plan in terms of not being paid by Donald Trump, turns out that that was Sidney Powell because she had set up a nonprofit entity that ended up raising $16 million to help pay for these lawsuits. So Sidney Powell has a little bit of a cushion. She's like, okay, I didn't get paid, but you know, I got, I got a big old pot over here full of money, but 16 million isn't 250 million. And again, that is what Donald Trump raised off of his election lies off the election lies of these people. So at that point he was literally getting during that time period, millions of dollars a day. 
So let's be real. Even if he had paid Giuliani $20,000 a day, you're still pulling in millions of dollars a day over a three month span a day. You could have paid Giuliani and you never would have noticed it. It would have come out of your super PACs. You can't put that in your pocket anyway. So why not give the man the money? Was it the melting hair thing? I want to think that it was the melting hair thing. I really deep in my heart of hearts. I believe that when Trump saw that he was like, yeah, I'm going to have to go back on that uh, handshake there. I am not giving this lunatic $20,000. So it is what it is, right? I mean, if you're one of Donald Trump's lawyers, you, you don't get the happy ending. And now we're realizing that not only do you not get the happy ending, but you're not even going to get your legal fees covered after you get indicted. So that's about the biggest double whammy that these people could get, but it still isn't even as bad as what's happening out there to poor Jenna Ellis. According to reports this week, Jenna Ellis, who of course was indicted with all the other co-conspirators in Georgia this week, um, she was serving as Donald Trump's lawyer at the time. She was actually at the press conference where Giuliani was melting and Sidney Powell was ranting about ghosts, but it was revealed this week, or it was claimed this week, I should say, according to the reports that Donald Trump has decided that his political action committee set up his legal defense fund, whatever you want to call it to help pay the legal fees of some of his friends. They're not going to give Jenna Ellis a dime allegedly, according to Midas touch, because Ellis has become a backer of Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. So that's that, that support's not working well for you. Any way you slice it, Jenna, cause you went from one loser to an even bigger loser. And now you can't get your legal fees covered. So here's what happened. Uh, in response to the indictments, this is what Jenna Ellis tweeted out. She said, or X'd out. The Democrats and the Fulton County DA are criminalizing the practice of law. I am resolved to trust the Lord and I will simply continue to honor, praise and serve him. I deeply appreciate all of my friends who have reached out, offering encouragement and support. She also posted a link to a fundraiser. She has now, uh, put up on the Christian, uh, you know, version of GoFundMe. It's called give, send, go. And she's raised a little over $10,000 which based on Rudy Giuliani's $20,000 a day fee, she could pay for Rudy Giuliani for four hours with the money she has raised. Um, given the fact that she is facing two counts, she is facing the overall Rico count. And of course she is facing a second count of solicitation of an official to violate the oath of office. Um, $10,000 not going to go far. $10,000 will get you a couple weeks of representation, maybe, but beyond that, she could be in serious trouble. Now she is a lawyer. Lawyers always tend to be very well connected. They know other lawyers. They know lawyers who know lawyers. So it's likely that Jenna Ellis can, you know, reach out to, to some legal friends, get recommendations, get some representation that may take her on pro bono, or they may, you know, reduce their fees because it's a friend who knows. But right now, according to these reports, Trump has totally cut her off and he may come to regret that decision because if Jenna Ellis 
is not able to pay her legal fees in the way that would give her, you know, really great representation by affording a great lawyer. All that does is incentivize her to flip on Donald Trump. So Trump may think that ah, I'm sticking it to her. She's supporting DeSantis. I'm not going to use my fund to give her any money, even though she got indicted for me. This only gives these individuals more leeway to say, okay, listen, this guy is throwing me under the bus. He may not necessarily be telling the court that I'm responsible for everything, but he is cutting me off financially when I need that support the most. And if I can't afford to fight a, a lengthy protracted legal battle, then my best option to make this go away is to cut a deal. My best option is to go to the prosecutors and say, listen, I know a lot. I have notes. I have evidence. Please let me off the hook and I will turn evidence against Donald Trump. And if he wants to play hardball, if Trump does, if he wants to say, I'm going to stick it to you, he needs to understand that all of these co-conspirators can do that too. In fact, reports have already suggested this week that a lot of the reason some of these people may end up flipping on Donald Trump is because of the legal fees. You know, we're not talking about hiring a lawyer to go represent you because you got rear-ended in traffic. We are talking about high quality, white collar criminal defense lawyers. And while they're not $20,000 a day, like Rudy Giuliani wanted to charge, they're expensive. They're some of the most expensive lawyers in the country. And they, they're not the kinds that, oh, you, you don't pay if you don't win. No, 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 no. That's not how these folks work. You pay the retainer, you pay them up front, you get billed every month. And a lot of these people that have been indicted do not have that kind of money. Donald Trump does. John Eastman, a, a longtime established lawyer, he probably has it. Sidney Powell has it. Jenna Ellis doesn't have it. A lot of the other indicted co-conspirators do not have that kind of cash. And when you're short on funds and out of options, these are the people that are going to be most likely to flip on Donald Trump the fastest. So he can cut them off all they, all he wants. Maybe he thinks he's, you know, letting them suffer, but in the end, it's going to come back to bite him pretty hard. Staying healthy and feeling generally good is all about habits that are sustainable, finding what works for you, something you'll stick to, and it might be different for everybody. That's why I keep my routines really simple. Before I have my morning coffee, I'll have a scoop of AG one. AG one is just this tasty green nutritional supplement. You can mix it into water or other drinks or smoothies. You get 75 high quality vitamins and probiotics from whole food sources. It's just a scoop of AG one. You're covering everything you would need for the day. I just don't have time to be dealing with 10 different vitamin supplement bottles or combining all these things. It's also really expensive to do that. It's just a single scoop of AG one in the morning gives me all the vitamins that I'm looking for, saves time, more cost effective. You can go to drinkag1.com slash Pacman to get five free travel packs of AG one plus a free one year supply of vitamin D. I've talked about vitamin D many times. That's drink AG, the number one slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. 
Welcome back to the David Pakman show. I am Farron Cousins, sitting in for David Pakman for the rest of the week. And if you've enjoyed what you've seen and heard from me so far, I encourage you go subscribe to my YouTube channels. I've got two of them. Great content every single day of the week, youtube.com slash fair and balanced and youtube.com slash the ring of fire. In addition to that, you can find me across all social media outlets, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, threads, even Twitter, unfortunately, still I'm at fair and balanced across all those platforms. So are y'all ready for some news that doesn't involve a guy with the last name of Trump? Because I am. And here's a story that is actually about a week old, but I want to re up it because it did get buried because of all the Trump indictments and Trump drama and just all the other horribleness happening across the country. But according to a massive new report from the Washington post, Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville, allegedly of the state of Alabama, might not be an Alabama resident at all. According to this report over the summer, Tommy Tuberville actually sold the last property that he actually owned in the state of Alabama. And he also sold a property in Santa Rosa beach, Florida, while buying another property in Santa Rosa beach, Florida, the town that just a few years ago, he said on ESPN, he had officially retired to, and he voted in the state of Florida as recently as 2018. So by all accounts, it would appear that Tommy Tuberville lives in Florida. In fact, to be honest with you, not just in Florida, Santa Rosa beach is about one hour from me that way. So Tuberville's a little too close for comfort. If you ask me, I've already got Matt Gates as my congressman. I don't need Tommy Tuberville living down the road from me either, but here's where things get a little murky. Tommy Tuberville claims on his uh, official, you know, Senate paperwork that his address is a home in Auburn, Alabama, where at one point Tommy Tuberville was the head coach. And I'm a big Auburn football fan. Like that is my college team. And because of that, I hate Tommy Tuberville more than the average person out there because he was awful, God awful, just gave up on the team. But anyway, that's a story for a different day. He claims he owns or lives in that property. And if you look at the property records, yeah, it's, it's registered to Tommy Tuberville and Suzanne Tuberville, who is Tommy's wife, but dig a little deeper. And the Tommy Tuberville on that property is not actually the same Tommy Tuberville serving in the United States Senate. No, that Tommy Tuberville that owns that house happens to be his son. Who's also named Tommy, but goes by Tucker. I don't know why anyone would choose that, but to each their own. So he technically doesn't own that house either that he claims he stays in, even though according to records, he technically lives in Santa Rosa beach, Florida. By the way, his wife, Suzanne Tuberville, who allegedly, allegedly lives in that Alabama home with him. She is a licensed realtor in the state of Florida and works at a real estate firm and get this Santa Rosa, Florida. She doesn't even have her Alabama real estate license. So there's no way she lives in that house four hours away from Santa Rosa, Florida, where she works. Like she's not making an eight hour commute every day. That's not happening, but here's where things get a little tricky. Okay. The constitution 
says that you have to be an inhabitant of the state in order to be a Senator, right? But it says the word inhabitant and that leaves it a little open for interpretation. Obviously if Tommy Tuberville is in fact staying in that house in Alabama, even though he's not on the title, it doesn't matter. He is an inhabitant of that dwelling for at least some portion of the year. Even if he wasn't living in that house, just staying in a hotel room would count as being an inhabitant, having an office there. Even if you're sleeping in the office, which he does have an office, obviously he would be an inhabitant of the state by the definition of inhabitant because it doesn't say resident. And therein lies the problem. That's where we get to this gray area. Sure. You could easily argue that Tommy Tuberville is in fact an inhabitant and therefore has a legal right to serve in the United States Senate from the state of Alabama. But is he a resident? Doesn't seem like it. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. This report kind of makes it seem like he's definitely not, but I guess that's open to interpretation. And I guess it's up for the good people of Alabama to decide whether or not they want somebody who's facing allegations of being a carpetbagger and who just cost them likely billions of dollars in economic activity after Biden said he wasn't going to move the space force to Huntsville, Alabama, which by the way is a beautiful area. I've got lots of relatives in Huntsville. Um, but Biden said space force is staying in Colorado. It's not going to Alabama. And while the white house said, you know, it's because of a lot of different reasons, everybody kind of agrees. It's probably because Tommy Tuberville's blockade of the 55 military promotions that are now starting to hinder their activity. So Tommy Tuberville's actions in the Senate are costing the state of Alabama and he may not even live there. And what gets me, there are monthly, if you look at his financials, there are monthly expenditures for travel and food in either Santa Rosa beach or another Florida town, Panama city beach, which is about 50 miles away. So he's having monthly expenses from down here in Florida. And this is what his spokesperson had to say to the Washington post. When they asked for comment, he said, coach has purchased and invested in real estate for decades. I like how he calls him coach instead of Senator, as if the coaching thing is totally more important than being a Senator. Cause he's not a coach anymore, but he is a Senator. But anyway, coach has owned the property in Santa Rosa beach for two decades. He bought it while he was coaching at Auburn. He goes there upon occasion. If he has a free weekend, it is within driving distance of Auburn. I've, I'm sure many senators have vacation homes. And as I said, it's a four hour drive one way. And yes, I guess that is technically driving distance, but technically Alaska's driving distance because you can get there in a car. It's just a long distance. So the spokesperson's not lying. It's driving distance. You can get in a car from Auburn and drive to Santa Rosa beach, Florida. I've actually done that. But all of this is just kind of clouding the issue. Where the heck does Tommy Tuberville live? Is he a carpet bagger? You know, trying to move into the state of Alabama, become your Senator, costing you all kinds of issues, you know, money causing problems. I guess it's up for Alabama residents to decide if that's the kind of guy they want serving in the Senate. Cause so far doesn't seem like it's worked out very well for him. And <laughs> moving on to another Republican who's not having a good week, Republican representative, George Santos reports came out this week saying that he has once again, missed the deadline to file his financial disclosure forms. 
He had originally gotten a 90 day extension after he was supposed to turn in those financial disclosure forms on May 15th. The 90 day extension expired on August 15th and he still just oopsie do hasn't turned them in. And I think we can all pretty much, you know, use our deductive reasoning skills here and figure out why a guy that's been indicted for money laundering and theft and fraud and basically running a Ponzi scheme with his campaign. I think we all know why he wouldn't want to release his financial disclosure forms. And now see that story would have been bigger news had it not been for a story that broke shortly after that one broke. And this one is actually much bigger because George Santos's former, uh, campaign, I guess, guy that goes out and gets donations employed by George Santos's campaign. George Santos paid this guy money and he was indicted this week for impersonating Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff. The man, Samuel mile allegedly sent a letter to Santos last September 26th that said uh, in which he admitted to quote, faking my identity to a big donor, but stated that he was quote, high risk, high reward in everything I do. That's according to the indictment, which was uh, filed in the district court for the Eastern district of New York. Uh, the man, Samuel mile was charged with four counts of wire fraud and one count of aggravated identity theft in the indictment. He was impersonating McCarthy's chief of staff, Dan Meyer, allegedly, you know, reaching out to donors saying, Hey, I'm with Kevin McCarthy's office. I'm Dan Meyer. <laughs> we have this candidate up in New York state, right? We, we need money for him. He's struggling a little bit. We need y'all to come in again. Hey, look, I'm with Kevin McCarthy. Dude's going to be speaker of the house if Republicans win. So, you know, you can trust me, right? So please give money to this guy. I don't know if that's exactly what he said. You know, I'm obviously, uh, uh, dramatizing it a little bit, but he reached out to the donors claiming to be somebody he wasn't. These people gave money. Now he's hit with all of these charges, but what gets me, and I'm so glad that we actually have a, a Democrat in the house willing to bring this up. Repo uh, Democrat, excuse me, democratic representative, Dan Goldman had this to say. According to a federal indictment, George Santos paid someone to impersonate Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff to raise money. Yet McCarthy continues to protect Santos pathetic and shameful. And I'm glad that Goldman brought that up because that was my first reaction to this story too. Like, well, wait a minute, Kevin McCarthy, even though this story, by the way, these accusations against mile have been out for a very long time, came out earlier this year. But McCarthy has stood by Santos. He said, well, we should let the voters decide. We should let the, we, you know, I'm not going to kick him out. He, he didn't even take him off the committee. Santos voluntarily left the committees and he has faced absolutely no repercussions in the house of representatives after all the lies were revealed. I mean, he duped the voters, the voters in his district voted for a human being that doesn't actually exist. He fabricated an entire persona and that is what voters elected not this little weasel, but nevertheless, Kevin McCarthy has stood by him, even though there were allegations already that, Hey, this guy paid somebody to impersonate your staffer. And McCarthy still says, you know what though? I'm sticking by Santos. Listen, if I were Dan Myers, McCarthy's chief of staff, I don't know if you're still there, but if you're still there, Dan Myers, um, you may want to ask your boss, like, dude, what the heck? 
Like he dragged my name through the mud. He's now indicted for fraud and you're standing by this guy. I don't know. Seems like a pretty good time to maybe update your resume and find somebody a little more humane to work for. Uh, just got a couple minutes left here and I want to talk about this story. I, I was going to talk about it yesterday, but I ran out of time, but we have the Republican party chairman in the state of Florida, a man by the name of Christian Ziegler, who said this week in response to a new poll showing that about 40% of residents in the state of Florida say we want to leave the state. Um, in fact, survey published by the Williams Institute this month found that 40% of respondents want to leave Florida while 11% say they were very likely to do so in the next two years. These responses were specifically in reaction to the state's LGBTQ plus school censorship law dubbed don't say gay, which prevents discussions about queer people in early grade classrooms. This is what Mr. Ziegler, again, the chairman of the Florida Republican party, this is what he said in response to families wanting to leave the state in order to protect their children from these authoritarian laws. Mr. Ziegler said this over 60% of voters support the actual language in the law, including 55% of Democrats. With that said, if a Democrat voter is passionate and perverted enough to support the sexualization of kids during school and grades as early as kindergarten, then I would agree that Florida is probably not the best fit for them. First and foremost, the numbers that he mentioned were totally fabricated. Like that is not at all what that poll found. Like a majority of people in the state actually disagree with the language of that bill. And he's lying through his teeth saying, well, people actually like it. No, they don't. We can read the report. You moron perverted perverted. If you are the parent of an LGBTQ youth, you're somehow perverted. If you support your child for being who they are as a human in this man's eyes, you're perverted. And that's how it starts. That is the type of dehumanizing language that has led to so many atrocities throughout all of human history. And here we have the chair of the Republican party of Florida dehumanizing these people, not just the LGBTQ community, but now the entire family is being dehumanized. Absolutely beyond appalling. I'm Farron cousins in for David Pakman. We've got a lot more coming up. We'll be right back. Don't forget that the best way to support the David Pakman show is by becoming a member, which gives you access to the daily bonus show, the regular show with no commercials. You also get access to our entire archive of every episode dating back a really long time and plenty of other awesome membership perks. Go to joinpacman.com. Joinpacman.com. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. I'm Farron Cousins from Ring of Fire and Farron Balanced. I've been sitting in for David today, yesterday, and I'll be back with you again tomorrow. So I hope you have enjoyed this. And if you have enjoyed what I have to say, please do go subscribe to my YouTube channels, youtube.com slash the ring of fire, youtube.com slash fair and balanced. You can hear me every week hosting the ring of fire podcast at rofpodcast.com. And I'm at fair and balanced on Instagram, Twitter, X, TikTok, threads, and Facebook. Now folks, let's talk about Donald Trump in the terms of who could be his vice presidential candidate. According to Marjorie Taylor Greene this week, she believes that she may be the top contender 
to be Donald Trump's VP. Here's what happened in response to Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, calling out Donald Trump saying that there is no report about election fraud in Georgia. Marjorie Taylor Greene obviously got a little mad. You know, she loves Donald Trump. She loves the great state of Georgia. So she said this, according to the Atlanta journal constitution, Marjorie Taylor Greene said his message should have been against this, not arguing with president Trump about the election and making it about his own ego and pride over Georgia's election. That's a bad statement. And I was very upset over it. Of course you were because you get upset about literally every single thing that anybody says that you disagree with. I mean, just ask Lauren Boebert about the exchanges you and her have had about minor disagreements, but then Marjorie Taylor Greene was asked, you know, cause Brian Kemp is now rumored after his uh, term as governor's over that he might be running for Senate in the state of Georgia. Marjorie Taylor Greene has hinted briefly that she may be somebody that might run against him in a Republican primary for that Senate seat. But Greene had this to say about that. She goes, I haven't made up my mind whether I will do that or not talking about running for the Senate. I have a lot of things to think about. Am I going to be part of president Trump's cabinet? If he wins, is it possible that I'll be VP? She wonders out loud. Now I want you to think for a second at how terrifying of a thought that is. Marjorie Taylor Greene as the individual that could be a heartbeat away from being the president of the United States that that should terrify you. Like that should keep you up tonight. After hearing me say that you should have nightmares of president Marjorie Taylor green, but let's be real here. Is she really the kind of person that Donald Trump would pick? Let's weigh the pros and cons a little bit, right? Obviously on the pro side, Donald Trump is pretty much, you know, everybody agrees at this point, he's going to pick a woman because his weakest link is with women voters. And he thinks that, Hey, if I put a woman on the ticket, women are going to be fooled enough to think I like women. And there you go. Um, that's really condescending when you think about it, but that's his rationale. So she checks that box. She also is blindly loyal to him no matter what. And that is Donald Trump's like biggest criteria. You have got to be diehard Trump or nothing. And nobody does it better than uh, Marjorie Taylor green. I know Carrie Lake is trying to, you know, get that spot, but reports have suggested that Trump thinks she's too much of a spotlight hog. And that's one thing you can't do. You know, it doesn't matter how loyal you are. If you try to take the spotlight away from him at all, then we're going to have some problems. Marjorie Taylor green won't do that. She knows Trump's the guy I'm just here to back him up. So she knows her role. She knows not to take the spotlight away from him. She's not afraid to say crazy things. She's not afraid to support him when nobody else does. So she checks all those boxes. That, those are the pros of why she could be the pick. Now let's look at the cons. Nobody likes her <laughs> in end of list. Like I'm not even kidding. You're supposed to, when you're running for president, you pick a vice presidential candidate to shore up your weaknesses, right? That's why Trump wants a woman. He's very weak with women, but that alone is not enough. You, you've got to have somebody that has strengths that you yourself do not have. You know, Donald Trump's weakness in 2016, right? The philanderer, all of that horrible stuff he's done throughout his life. 
He needed to shore up the religious vote. Who did he pick? Mike Pence. That was a smart pick. Credit where it's due. That shored up that weakness and it got the evangelicals on his side. Barack Obama, relative newcomer, right? Hadn't been in national politics for too long. You put him with a more experienced, seasoned guy, Joe Biden. George W. Bush, big dumb idiot. Again, also, uh, you know, relative newcomer, didn't know what the hell he was doing. So you put him with a guy who's been around the block a couple of times, Dick Cheney. He's the adult in the room. People who shored up the weaknesses or the perceived weaknesses of the main candidate. Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't do that. She has literally been in politics for less time than Donald Trump has. So she doesn't bring experience. She doesn't bring knowledge. She brings nothing to the table. So the question then becomes, okay, but can she attract new voters? And that's when you go back to my first point of no, nobody likes her. The only reason she wins elections is because she is in a deep red district. I mean, it's a double digit. I, th I think it's like a ridiculous double digit, like 50, um, district, like a Republican's not going to lose in that district. You put a potato in that district and write the word Republican on it. And it's going to be the Democrat. That is kind of what she is. She's the potato with the word Republican written on it. So she wins. You take her out of that district. She can't win. It's kind of like people like Matt Gates. And I use that as a comparison because Gates, I know because I live here, I'm in a deep red district. Gates is going to win, but if it's not him, it'll be the next Republican because this is a Republican district. But last summer, when those two went on their little cross country tour, what happened to them? They spent more money than they raised. In many instances, they're talking to people as part of their rallies on the sidewalk. And you may have two dozen people there. Nobody outside their district actually likes these people, but they're loud. They're obnoxious. They get the media attention. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is good at that, but she's not good at bringing other people into the fold. You think those moderates and independents out there are going to say, well, I didn't want to vote for Trump, but I saw Marge is on the ticket. So I'm all in. No, nobody in this country is going to say that. Like there is not a single person alive that would say what I just said. You will never hear that statement again. <laughs> so she's not the smartest pick, but none of that will matter to Trump because the only thing that matters is the loyalty. So it's a very real possibility. Would she be appointed to the cabinet? Eh, I don't think so. Maybe. I mean, that, that's also a dangerous spot to have her in because she doesn't understand how any of that works. We already went through a Trump administration filled with cabinet officials who didn't understand how it worked or who had a vested interest in their cabinet positions, not working properly. Betsy DeVos, Andrew Wheeler. So we've seen this episode before and it didn't end well for the United States. <laughs> but I do, there's another story. God, I am so sorry because this is absolutely one of the weirdest things I have ever seen. According to a new report, evangelicals are now whining about the fact that Jesus Christ from the Bible is a little too woke for them. Jesus is a little too liberal for today's conservative evangelicals. According to this report, actually it was an interview with NPR 
Russell Moore, who's editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, said that he hears from pastors who tell him about congregants who take umbrage at Jesus telling his followers to turn the other cheek. Moore said that someone invariably comes up to the pastor afterwards and says, where did you get those liberal talking points? And what was alarming to me, Moore says, is that in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, the response would not be, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. For him, that shows that Christianity is at a state of crisis. Um, you think? You have, according to this guy, again, the editor of Christianity Today, and he's out there talking to pastors all over the country, and the pastors are telling him the same story. My congregants are getting mad. Then I'm quoting some liberal guy that they think is Bernie Sanders up on stage each week or up on the altar, up on the, at the pulpit. They think I'm reading from the communist manifesto, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually just quoting the Bible here. And they still say it's not, it doesn't work anymore. If you ever needed any evidence to prove to you that there is nothing religious whatsoever about the religious right. This is it. Are these people claim to live their lives by the Bible? And then when they find out what's in the Bible, they're like, Oh no, 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 no to hell with that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I am not going to feed the hungry. What, what, what am I a socialist clothe the naked? Oh, heal the sick. Whoa, Bernie, calm down there a little bit. That's what these people are. They have never cracked open the Bible. They don't know what's actually in there. And when they learn what's actually in there, they completely disregard it because that's a little too woke for them. The entire movement is a farce. And if you don't believe me, ask Frank Schaefer, right? His father and Frank Schaefer, I've interviewed him a tons of tons of times over at ring of fire, brilliant guy, brilliant author. And he's written multiple books talking about and exposing the religious right. Cause his father helped found it. He helped create it. And Frank of course is trying to, you know, expose everything going on. And this report here does a phenomenal job of that. These people who wrap themselves every day in Bible quotes, you, you see the Bible quotes on their social media profiles. They've got the little cross emoji and the praying hands and all of that. They've never opened the book. They don't know what Jesus was actually teaching. And if they did, they would understand that Jesus wasn't out there saying, Hey, make sure you don't get an abortion today. <laughs> like that's, that's not a thing. That's not a thing in that book. He wasn't saying, Hey, you better do something about the LGBTQ community. Cause I, I don't like those people. No. It was love. It was peace. It was acceptance. And it was helping those in need. It wasn't turning away the immigrants. It wasn't sending them to, to die with booby traps in a river. It was treat others the way you want to be treated. Help those who do not have the means to help themselves live a good life. But most importantly, the point of that whole book, the Bible is just for the love of God be a decent human being. And when these Republicans, this religious right gets that message, they say, Whoa, be a decent human being. Thanks, but no thanks. 
Listen, I'm Farron Cousins. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I will be with you once again tomorrow. This has been the David Pakman Show. Once again, I'm Farron Cousins. Thanks for tuning in.